Part three, chapter nineteen of Bonaventure, a prose pastoral of Acadian Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bonaventure, a prose pastoral of Acadian Louisiana by George W. Cable. Part three, chapter nineteen. Tears and such things. Marguerite and her friend had no sooner taken their seats to drive home from the studio the day the sketch was made then Marguerite began a perfect prattle. Her eyes still shone excitedly, and leaped and fell and darkened and brightened with more than the swift variety of a fountain in the moonlight, while she kept trying in vain to meet her companion's looks with a moment's steady regard. Claude was found, and she trembled with delight. But, alas, he had heard her passionate call and yet stood still, had looked down upon her in silence, and drawn again the curtain between them. She had thought until the last moment, he will come, he will confront us as we pass out the door, will overtake us at the foot of the stairs, on the sidewalk, at the carriage window. But it had not been so and now they were gone from the place and here sat this friend this gay cynical knower of men's and women's ways answering her chatter in short smiling responses with a steady eye fixed on her and reading marguerite believed as plainly as if it were any of the signboards along the rattling street the writing of her fluttering heart and so even while she trembled with strange delight pain shame and alarm pleaded through her dancing glances now by turns and now in confusion together for mercy and concealment but in fact as this friend sat glancing upon the young face beside her with secret sympathy and admiration it was only this wild fear of betrayal that at length betrayed Reaching the house, the street door was hardly shut behind them when Marguerite would have darted up to her chamber, but her friend caught her hands across the balustrade and said with roguery in her own eyes, "'Marguerite, you sweet rowdy!' "'What?' "'Yes, what? There's something up. What is it?' The girl tried to put on surprise, but her eyes failed her again, she leaned on the rail and looked down, meanwhile trying softly to draw away upstairs, but her friend held on to one hand and murmured, "'Just one question, dearie, just one. I'll not ask another. I'll die first. You'll probably find me inarticulo mortis when you come downstairs. Just one question, lovey. "'What is it?' "'It's nothing but this. I ask for information.' The voice dropped to a whisper. Is he as handsome as his portrait? The victim rallied all her poor powers of face and turned feebly upon the questioner. Portrait? Who? Her voice was low and she glanced furtively at the nearest door. I don't understand you. Her hand pulled softly for its freedom and she turned to go, repeating with averted face, I don't understand you tall. Well, never mind then, dear, if you don't understand, responded the tease with mock tenderness. But, ma belle Creole, je suis acadienne. You're an angel faintly disguised. Only look around here. 
Only, Angelica, don't try to practice a woman's humbug on a woman, at least not on this old one. It doesn't work. I'll tell you whom I mean. She pulled, but Margaret held off. I mean, she hoarsely whispered, I mean the young inventor that engineer told us about, remember? Marguerite, with her head bowed low, slowly dragged her hand free and moved with growing speed up the stairs, saying, I don't know what is dat. I don't understand you tall. Her last words trembled as if nigh to tears. At the top of the stairs, the searching murmur of her friend's voice came up, and she turned and looked back. Forgive me, said the figure below. The girl stood a moment, sending down a reassuring smile. You young rogue, murmured the lady, looking up with ravished eyes. Then she lifted herself on tiptoe, made a trumpet of both little hands, and whispered, Don't worry, we'll bring it out all right. Whereat Marguerite blushed from temple to throat and vanished. The same day word came from her mother of her return from Terbonne, and she hastened to rejoin her in their snug rooms over the women's exchange. When she snatched Zosephine into her arms and shed tears, the mother merely wiped and kissed them away and asked no explanation. The two were soon apart, for Marguerite hungered unceasingly for solitude. Only in solitude could she, or dared she, give herself up to the constant recapitulation of every minutest incident of the morning. And that was ample employment. They seemed the happenings of a month ago. She felt as if it were imperative to fix them in her memory now, or lose them in confusion and oblivion forever. Over them all again and again she went, sometimes quickening memory with half-spoken words, sometimes halting in long reverie at some intense juncture, now with tingling pleasure at the unveiling of the portrait, the painter's cautionary revelation of the personal presence above, or Claude's appearance at the window, now with burnings of self-abasement at the passionate but ineffectual beseechings of her violin, and always ending with her face in her hands as though to hide her face even from herself, for shame that all her calling, her barefaced as it seemed to her, her abject calling, he had not come. Marguerite, my child, it is time for bed. She obeyed. It was all one, the bed or the window. Her mother, weary with travel, fell asleep, but she... She heard the clock downstairs strike, and a clock next door attest, twelve, one, two, three, four, and another day began to shine in at the window. As it brightened, her spirits rose. She had been lying long in reverie. Now she began once more the oft-repeated rehearsal, but the new day shone into it also. When the silent recital again reached its end, the old distress was no longer there, but in its place was a new, sweet shame, near of kin to joy. The face, unhidden, looked straight into the growing light. Whatever else had happened, this remained, that Claude was found. She silently formed the name on her parted lips. Claude, Claude, 
Claude, Claude, and could not stop, though it gave her pain, the pain was so sweet. She ceased only when there rose before her again the picture of him drawing the curtain and disappearing. But even then she remembered the words, Don't worry, we'll bring it out all right, and smiled. When Zosephine, as the first sunbeam struck the window-pane, turned upon her elbow and looked into the fair face beside her, the eyes were closed in sleep. She arose, darkened the room, and left it. End of Part 3, Chapter 19